Uh, we were uh, running a little late, but Wayne knew he could get away with that one. Uh, uh, hug two people and then sit down. But don't talk to them because I don't have time for that because we sung this song. But it was right that we should sing this song. I mean, we'd done a little R&B. We'd done a little like retro 70s. We had done some 80s power ballads. We needed a little uh, Celtic music to get God's imprimatur on this uh, service. I want to thank you. Last week, the offering for the Zimbabwe conference was $3,250. And that's good. That'll come close to uh, covering their expenses on that, uh, for that conference. So Wayne wanted me to let you know that if anyone wanted to still give, uh, they would be able to collect through the end of this month, through the end of July. Yeah, but thank you very much. Uh, Wednesdays are a little different this month. (laughs) Uh, We won't be having regular classes here on Wednesday nights because it's July and most of you are going to be gone. Uh, And, but we're going to be doing some fun stuff. This, this Wednesday night is, uh, hey, every church needs a skate night, and this one's ours. Uh, and it's at the Skate Center, I hope. 6.30? Woo, okay, 6.30 at the Skate Center. Now, the following Wednesday night is, uh, uh, Daniel can't wait for it, uh, Swack Factor. Uh, now, that used to be called Essays Got Talent, but why would we call that that anymore? Uh, now we call it Swag Factor. I've got several uh, acts already signed up. One woman and all the rest of them are men. I just want to know where the talent, talented women are in this. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, uh, I'm sure they're not being intimidated by the men. Here's the deal. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be talented, quite frankly. You just have to be willing to get up and do something. <laughs> and uh, next Sunday will be the, the cutoff to get involved in that. Uh, if you are going to be using a CD, that needs to be turned in next Sunday so that our, our sound man extraordinaire can put that, uh, put that all together on one long CD. Uh, and he requests that you don't hand in your iPod, hand in a CD, burn a CD of it and, uh, and have it brought in. I see, it seems like there was something else I needed to say, but, oh yeah, the sermon, uh, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> We're in the middle of the, uh, the Arnolds are going to sit on the front row. I spoke to them about it earlier, and they're going to do that for the first time, and I think we should clap for them. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Oh. Uh, we're in the middle of the series on the greatest stories ever told. Jesus was a storyteller. I mean, as, as soon as somebody says, I remember the time or oh, there were, back in the summer of, you know, people tend to perk up, tend to listen, and it, and it sticks with you. I mean, if it's good enough for Jesus, then uh, it should be good enough for, for anybody. And the parables really are the stories that have been handed down to us from him. You know, occasionally I'll hear people say, oh, I only read nonfiction. And, and, and I go, get over it, man. 
First of all, most nonfiction isn't. And second of all, fiction almost always conveys truth better than nonfiction does. And that's the way Jesus used it. Would you stand with me? You don't, you don't get a, a break today on this one. We're going we're gonna to read this together. Uh, it's all, in all three of the synoptic gospels, but we're going to read it from the book of Mark. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and power of your word and of the Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that we would actually hear what is said today, that we would take it, that it would produce 30, 60, 100 fold in our lives, and that it would change the way that we receive the word forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is the parable of the word, and as such, it's foundational to all other parables, and it's foundational to life in general. Uh, there are two ways to approach this, or two ways to look at it. One of them is from the, uh, the standpoint of the sower, us being the sower. And the other is from the standpoint of us being the one that receives the, the seed that is sown. I just want to briefly, we're going to spend most of the time on that second uh, perspective, but I want to briefly touch on the first one because uh, I used to think that I was responsible for making people receive the word and if they didn't receive the word and, and do something with it and it brought about a change in their life, then I was doing something wrong. Uh, and I think that, that preachers are not the only people that have problems with that. Now, in fact, that may have had something to do, you know, I started preaching when I was a teenager and then took a long hiatus, which I needed to take and anybody listening to me needed for me to take as well. But I think one of the reasons that I probably quit, I guess is, is the only way to say it, was because I was so discouraged that I would sow the word and nothing would happen. 
You know, I'm not like Don McCain. I can give an altar call. Nobody can come. And I go, what is wrong with me? Nothing is wrong with me. <laughs> Felt good to say that. <laughs> okay, I lied a little. Uh, but nothing, nothing is wrong with you in that regard. And I think, and I think Christians, as a, as a general rule, have a problem with this because they'll, they'll maybe share with somebody or they'll share their testimony with somebody and, and nothing happens and they kind of go, boy, I'm not going to do that again. The, the sower is not responsible for whether or not the seed is, is received. All the sower is responsible for doing is putting it out there. And the sower is not responsible for choosing, selecting the ground that it's going to fall on either. You cannot tell by looking at someone if this is good soil or if this is rocky soil or if this is a path. You can't tell. Somebody can, somebody can look really holy and ready and they just don't hear anything that you're saying. While somebody else can look pretty rough and you might be inclined to avoid them and yet they're just they're this close. Look around. It's a little test. I want you to look around the room and I want you to decide who is ready to receive the word and who's not ready today. This is not rhetorical. This is something that I'm asking you to do and it requires turning your head. Do you have it figured out? Do you know who it is that's ready? Of course you don't. Because you can't, you can't tell. And you can't tell when you're at Walmart either. And you can't tell when you're at work. And you can't tell when you're at school. The only thing that you're charged with doing is, is, is sowing the word. That's it. That's all you have to do. You cannot make seed fruitful any more than you can make it rain or, or make, make the sky sunny. Last week, uh, I, when we got to the end, I was talking about one of my favorite Things that Jesus ever said, actually, is at the very end of, of the book of John, when he's telling Peter about the fact that Peter is going to be, is going to be martyred. And, and in fact, it was, it was a good thing for him to tell Peter, because Peter had, on the night that he betrayed him, declared, I would die for you. And Jesus would go, no, you wouldn't. You're going to betray me, actually. And he did. And so now Jesus was telling him, you know what you said back then? It is going to happen, Peter. You really are going to be that. And so, you know, that's actually a pretty good thing. And Peter turns and looks at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus goes, none of your business. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? All you have to do is follow me. And so it doesn't matter when somebody else shares the word and they get a huge response and you share the word and you don't get a huge response. It doesn't matter. What is that to you? You're only responsible for putting it out there, for sowing the seed, because this is, a, this is a, a complex process. This is a complicated process. Over in, uh, over in John chapter 4, Jesus had just spent some time talking to the woman at the well. Didn't necessarily look like good ground, but it turned out it was very good ground. She goes into town. She tells the people in the town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this not be the Christ? And they went, well, let's go look at him. And so they're coming out of the town, and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and most of you are familiar with, with portions of this, but listen to it with new ears. Do not say four more months, and then comes the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. It is a rare occasion when you run into somebody who's a total blank slate, and you share the word, and they go, yes, and you get to see the harvest. That almost never happens. You may get to see the harvest sometimes, but somebody else did the hard work. Somebody else has been sowing into their, to their life. Somebody else has been watering the seed. Some, somebody else. And sometimes you're the somebody else. And you don't get to see the harvest. All you get to do is be obedient. And that's all that you have to do is the good news. Now, when it comes to preparing the soil, there's only one plot of ground you can prepare. And that's yours. You can't prepare anybody else's, and it's critical because as important as it is to sow the seed, it's even more important to receive it. I was referencing back when I was a teenager and, and would preach occasionally. <laughs> and Boy, was I bad. I mean, I really was. It was a good thing that I preached in the South because people are nice in the South. <laughs> you know, people would come up to you in the South and you just, you just preached a stinker. And I go, honey, that was so good. The, 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 the anointing was just all over you. And it wasn't. But, you know, they're, they're just being nice to you. And you need to remember that when you preach in the South because you might think that you're a pretty good preacher. Just, and they're just being nice because that's what Southern people do. Go up north and preach. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Where was I going with that? Uh, Oh, the reason why it was so bad was I didn't have anything to give. I didn't know anything. I didn't have enough word in me to put word out of me as a preacher. Now, if, you, if you've given your life to Christ, you've got a testimony. And so that. But, you know, don't try to teach the letter to the seven churches of revelations, you know, at, at that point in your life. Till, you, till you've got something to actually give. Uh, but in terms of getting ready to receive you're the, you're the one who can only, you're the only one who can prepare the seed of your heart, and it's important to do that because man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if the seed is the word and it's not bearing any fruit in your life and, and something is shortchanging it, then you're not really living. Four types of soil, Jesus said. And we'll look at these fairly quickly. First one is the path. It is the least fruitful place for seed to fall. It does not grow at all. It does not produce anything at all because the seed doesn't enter the ground at all on the path. The path may look good. The path is the most comfortable route to take. We live out in the, in, the, in the woods, and I grew up with woods behind our house, and I go in those woods a lot. And oftentimes there would be a path. And if you take the path, that's a whole lot easier and a whole lot more comfortable than trying to just forage through the woods. And 
It's, it's that way, whether you live in the country or not. The path is the, is, is the easy way to take. The path may even be straight. It may even be narrow. Because you see, the path is the ultimately familiar. What is just so familiar? It's nine to five, if those are the kind of hours that you work. Or, or it's seven to two, if you're going to school or something, whatever. It's the newspaper. It's Sports Center. It's uh, the mall. It's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning for a lot of people. I'm glad that you're here if you're really here. But oftentimes, this is just the familiar. And my voice is so familiar that, you, that, I, that I'll say a few words, and after I get past the first joke, you know, until another one comes along, it just becomes blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and that's all you're hearing. That happens a lot. And, and, I, and I'm, not, you know, I'm not coming down on you. I, I have fallen asleep on some of the greatest preachers God has put on this planet. When I was at the Lord's Chapel, I had to sit on the platform. Oh, mercy. You know, you're sitting on the platform and you're looking out and everyone is looking up. And it was a little bitty platform for such a big church. I mean, we had like 1,400 people in that church, and that platform would hold, would not hold 14 of them. It was, it was a small thing. And, uh, you know, when the sermon started, especially if it was one I'd heard before, oh, goodness gracious. You know, and, and it, it's really intimidating when, when people, when you think somebody's looking at you and you're, you're starting to go, And then there was this one Sunday, I mean, you know, and, and they're probably not really looking at you, but I think the Sunday that my head dropped and the, my Bible flew up in the air. <laughs> you know, I think, I think somebody, you know, I think they kind of knew. And it wasn't a bad sermon, you know. I was just tired, to be honest with you. And, you know, and sometimes people come here and they're just tired. And that's okay. Just don't do it every week. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons, you know, why I, I like to add a little humor into the service is to help you. No, really? Seriously, I need help. I need help, and I, and I suspect I suspect that you do too, because it it can become very ordinary um, if you hear the word but seem to never retain it then your life has likely become mired in the mundane. And no matter how wild and free you may pretend to be, you're stuck on a dead-end street. I'm serious. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to be a banker to have a mundane lifestyle. You can be a, you can be a musician. You can be, you can be unemployed and, and out there thinking that you're partying all the time, and it can get real boring and mundane, and regular. And the cure, the cure is to wake up and smell the roadkill. 
Scott Asher is tweeting that right now. (laughs) That's what's on the path. And the only way is to wake up and realize this doesn't smell right. Something smells dead around here. Something is not being productive in my life. The second type of soil that he talked about is rocky. (laughs) And there's a reason why I use that one, because this is not soil with a bunch of little rocks in it. This is a thin layer of soil covering one big rock. You know, it's a good thing to be on the rock. It is a bad thing to be the rock. Another name for this kind of soil would be shallow, Mr. Shallow. (laughs) Over in uh, Hamlet Act 3, scene 2. the Hamlet has set up the play within the play, and, and his, his mother and his stepfather, he's watching them. They, they've actually conspired and killed his dad, and, and he's doing a play where that's exactly what's happening. And he's looking at them to see you know, how they're reacting. And he uh, turns to his mom and asks what, what uh, her opinion is. And uh, she says, uh, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. The idea of being that uh, it's over, where she's going with this is over the top. Sometimes uh, this, is, this is a situation where sometimes people receive the word and they receive it with joy, and it's a good thing to receive the word with joy. You should receive the word with joy. That, that's it's a great thing. But it's, it's a little too much. It's a little over the top. There's... there's uh, there's something uh, manic about it, about the way that it's received. And maybe what, what I've heard, you know, I've got to do right now. You know, or, or I, I, went, I went to this conference and I, and I found out about, uh, you know, prophesying to people. And now I'm, I'm going to prophesy to you and, and then I'm going to prophesy to you. And I, and I need to find somebody else to prophesy to. Uh, you know, and it just, it just begins to run and there's just something inside that, doesn't feel right about it. Doesn't feel like it has depth to it. And quite frankly, the charismatic camp is particularly susceptible to this. Very susceptible to it. And the problem isn't that they received the word or that they received the word with joy. The problem is I've seen it happen over and over and over and over. How many times do you want me to say that? And what I've seen happen is it doesn't last. In fact, often there's a crash and burn that leaves them in worse shape than they were before they got it. You might be a rocky if you find yourself getting on fire for God one week and running cold the next week. If it happens consistently, consistently, 
In fact, usually it's, I mean, it's a good thing to come on Sunday morning. We come to get our batteries charged, but it needs to be a trickle charge. It, it doesn't need to be one of those deals where you've gone completely. Now, some weeks that's going to happen, okay? Some, some, some weeks something has come along and just laid you so low that, and, and, you know, those are the weeks that God usually really shows up big time in your life. But if it's a consistent thing where you come on Sunday morning and you leave, feeling saved and close to God and on fire for God, and, and it doesn't make it to Monday afternoon, and that happens every week, then there's a shallowness. You might be a Rocky if you find yourself getting on fire for God at one conference, but it burns out before the next conference. Or you might be a Rocky if you find yourself sold out for Christ after the missions trip, but just simply out a few weeks later. Missions trips can change your life. They absolutely can. But they don't change your life unless your life changes. They don't change your life because you came back from one excited about your life changing but didn't change anything. Might be a rocky if you find yourself close to God after the car wreck but distant after you start feeling better. See, he says, when the sun came up, when the time of testing came, then these plants all died because they didn't have any root. Now, the time of testing, you know, most of us, that's not something that we feel like we'd like to get too involved in. But it's really, it's a wonderful thing because it's God who's being tested. Barbie was talking about uh, when you tithe. This is just an example, okay? When you, when you tithe, then God's in charge of all the other stuff. And, you know, you don't have to worry about that, Okay. And I found that to be true in my life. Now, times have come along when there's going to be, do I write this tithe check or do I take care of this thing over here? If the, if the, if the soil is shallow and the root isn't, isn't there, then when that time of testing comes, the sun, which makes other plants grow, it'll kill that plant. And they go, oh, my goodness, no, I can't do it. Boy, boy I almost started tithing. Whew. Yeah. Uh, but... If, if it's deep, then you find out that God will meet you. Then you find out that he actually does what he, what he says he will do when, when the time of testing comes. The cure for uh, rocky soil is to discipline yourself to taste and see that the Lord is good. I am not by nature, a disciplined person. I'm just not. There it is. I admitted it. It's out there. Everybody see? You know, I'm, I'm a night owl, and, I, and, I, and almost every night about 1, 1.30 when I'm finally going to bed. Is that night or is that morning? That's, yeah, I'm going... I'm going to start going to bed earlier <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> and it just, uh, no, I'm not. I'm, it's not who I am. But there is one area of my life that I've definitely disciplined. And that's my relationship, my, my devotional relationship with God and with the Word. And the reason why I've done that is because it is absolutely essential in my life, 
And I know that if I don't get up in the morning knowing I'm going to read the Word, this is, prob- this is when I'm going to do it, and this is where I'm going to read, it won't happen. It just won't happen. And you know what? About 97% of you are exactly the same way. That's one of the things about the, uh, the liturgical church that I appreciate. You know, I mean, you may walk into the service and it's kind of cool the first couple of times and then it just kind of feels kind of dead. But the, the devotional discipline that is in that, that camp of Christianity, man, we can use some of that. Absolutely can. That's how you break up the, the rocky soil. And then there are the, the thorns. The briars, the briar patch. This is good soil. The heart is soft, it's sincere, it's deep. It will grow anything. And therein lies the problem. It will grow anything. We we live out, like I say, kind of out in the country, and our soil isn't, isn't very good at all, but it will grow thorns. Grows them every year. They just keep coming up, and so will the heart. What are the briars of the heart? Well, there's the worries of this life. I contend that the number one thing that prevents Christians from being effective is not immorality. The number one thing that keeps Christians from being effective is not a lack of resources, lack of talent. The number one thing that keeps them from being ineffective is worry. I want to read a fairly lengthy passage to you from Matthew chapter 6. You've heard it. But in the context of this sermon, in the context of this, I want you to listen to it as if Jesus were saying this to you and you actually believed it. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Turn off the cell phone. (laughs) Thank you. There's some others who've got theirs on too. They're just not as popular as you are. (laughs) Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field, how they grow? They don't labor, they don't spin, and yet not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, 
which is here today and, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm not saying not to work. Scripture says if men won't work, you shouldn't eat. I'm saying don't worry. Don't worry. Be happy. (laughs) The deceitfulness of wealth. Bob Huey is a man who, uh, uh, I I guess I first met Huey back in the mid-70s. He used to run uh, Quantania Bookstore, and he was involved in the transition that Belmont Church went through at that time from whatever they were to whatever they became, and and Huey's a wild man. Huey, when Huey got saved, he was was a yuppie. I mean, he had the the, the Corvette and the the whole nine yards and everything. When he got saved, this, this was what... God called Huey to do, okay? Not everybody's called to do this, but Huey needed to do this. He sold everything that he had, gave it all to the, went down, found some poor and gave it all to him. He and his wife moved down on the beach. And I don't mean beachfront property. I just mean on the beach because <laughs> they didn't have anything. And now Bob and, and Peggy Huey, it's been a number of years ago. They traveled the world with no visible means of support whatsoever. They are liable to show up anywhere at any time. In fact, when we were in Zimbabwe, they came walking down our driveway one day. Margaret looked up and said, Bob and Peggy Huey are walking down our driveway right now. <laughs> and, and Huey kind of looks like a wild man. But I remember him sharing one time on a retreat that he had been in Colorado sharing with a, uh, you know, with, with a bunch of young people. And he was, he was sharing his testimony. And there was a young man who came up to him afterwards and said, my goal in life is to make all of the money that I can and be very rich and retire before age 40. What do you think about that, huh? And Huey said, I think you're getting ready to be pierced with many thorny griefs. (laughs) Because that's what the word says. 1 Timothy 6. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many thorny griefs. And then the third one, he said, was the desire for other things. I was reading some uh, Benjamin Franklin quotes this week. St. Benjamin, and uh, he was saying, if we, if we got half of our wishes, we would double our troubles. And it's true. Absolutely true. The cure is that we need to weed our hearts. And weeding is a frequent task. We need, you know, when we see these things in our lives, we need to uproot them and 
pull them out. And guess what? They will be back. And you'll have to root them out again. I, I bought some industrial strength, $40 a gallon weed killer stuff because I was going to spray that one time and then not have to spray again until next year. It is a lie, people. Don't buy that stuff. They do not die. They come back. Or their they're little offspring or something come back. And, you, and the only way to really get rid of it is to pull out those weeds and do it every day. Every day. If that's the kind of soil that you have. And then finally, good ground. And there's not a whole lot to say about this because it's just... The only thing I want to say is no good ground can be completely good on its own. There's the old joke about the farmer who was, uh, uh, the guy came up to him and said, man, that's a beautiful piece of land out there that the Lord gave to you. (laughs) And he said, yeah, you should have seen it when the Lord had it by himself. Uh, It's an old joke. I can't believe people still laugh at that. Of course, truth of the matter is, uh, you know, I, I imagine Eden looked pretty good before God put man in it. You know, God's, God's pretty good at handling stuff. But God has given you the land. He's given you the heart. He's given you the resources. It's up to you to not let it become a path. It's, uh, it's up to you. If there's, a, if there's a rock in there, that sucker's got to get broken up. It's up to you to pull the weeds out. On a daily basis. And when you do, God's word becomes fruitful in your life. And it's a marvelous, wonderful thing. 30, 60, 100 fold. And it, and it works. It really does. Before I, uh, before I really gave my life to the Lord, I was, I, I, was 20, I was 25 when that happened. My life was a wreck. It was a shambles. And, and five years later, uh, Margaret and I were married. We, we had Isaac and Arwen was on her way and we had, you know, I had a job. I was supporting a family. We, we had a house and, and I remember thinking back that five years before that, that was the, that was an impossible dream. Absolutely. That there was no way that any of that stuff was ever going to happen in my life. And yet it did. You kind of go, well, yeah, you know, when you're young, sometimes. You... No, this can happen at any point in your life. I don't, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how hard the path is. I don't care how many years you've been walking up and down it. If you'll break that sucker up, if you'll pull the weeds out, when God's word penetrates in there, it'll change who you are and what's happening in your life. It absolutely will. Happy Independence Day. Stand up with me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is going to minister to people come forward. I love you guys. And I I agree with Mario. I love this church. I love being here. Uh, If you need prayer. For anything, you come forward this morning. And, you know, one of the things that I rarely mention this, and I'm sure people do it anyway, mention it in the first service. I think I'll say it again in the second service. If there's somebody that you're praying for and you need some help praying for them, it just doesn't seem to be much happening. This be, I think this is a good morning to come. Uh, get, get somebody else to help put a hand to that plow. See what, uh, see what can be done. We're going to worship for just a moment. We'll wait for you. You 
If you, uh, if you need prayer for anything, because people come with needs, you come. God's here. He answers prayer. He meets needs. And if you don't, let's worship together. Let's create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives.
in the early service when I was talking about it doesn't matter what age you are I was going to say it doesn't matter if you're 60 and then I realized I'm 60 and then I thought well, I, and then I just said I don't know what old is anymore Ray comes bebopping through the door and goes the, but the thing is okay 75 uh, I'm sure five years ago Ray could have not imagined his life being what it is right now just couldn't have imagined it I'm telling you if you break up the ground and let the seed of the word penetrate your heart things will change raise your hand let me give you a blessing May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world so that we might be fruitful, so that the Word might go forth, and so that it might bear fruit in our lives. May it find good soil in your life. May you have the grace, the discipline, the vision to remove all obstacles. And may you produce abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.